Hello and welcome to the Unformed Handball Hour. This is me, Brian Campion. I'm joined by Chris O'Reilly and Alex Coolish. How are you, boys? How are you, Brian? Well done for remembering yourself this time. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm not going to forget this week. But yes, yeah, so on today's episode, we're going to talk, of course, about the men's Champions League draw for the final award that just took place earlier today. We'll recap a little bit the European League and Magdeburg picking up their first trophy in 14 years. We'll then also look at the women's final four, which is coming up this weekend, and myself and Chris will be going there. And Alex, of course, will be on, on the Twitter machine all weekend, I presume. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some other bits of news, like Xavier Pascal going to Dynamo Bucharest or whatever else I can't remember right now. But yeah, <laughs> So let's start with the Champions League draw. <laughs> and of course... Uh, Maybe one important thing, which you called me up the last time I gave it an <laughs> introduction, you said I forgot the interview. And what an interview to forget. <laughs> we have Nora Merck on the podcast speaking about her preparation for the women's EHF Final Four, um, which is really exciting. To be fair, though, anyone who's listening to the podcast ha- have seen the the headline and Nora Merck is at the start of the headline. So, you know, they're not going to miss that. But yeah, very important uh, interview. Blockbuster interview, I think it's fair to say. Big, big name to get on the pod and that's going to come around halfway through it. But should we start with, well, actually, I want to say congratulations, first of all, Brian Campion getting his first vaccination. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Vaccination. Yeah. Yeah, That's it. You know, Pfizer, gold standard. Yeah. Very, very jealous. I went into the place, you know, and I, the, 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 the doctor saw me and he was like, oh, you're from the handball hour. And he opened up a special drawer and was like, I'll give you Pfizer. Now everyone's like an AstraZeneca, but I'll give you Pfizer. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's like, I, I want the peak content for the women's CHF before. So you're getting the gold stuff. Yeah. Happy days. You're getting the, the gold standard here. We'll start with the, the men's EHF Champions League. Last week, we had a pod all about the quarterfinals. And... Well, I think among all of us, we, we covered the results, which was kind of the idea. But how do, how do we do in the end? I think I got three out of four correct. So I went for the big ones. I went for Nantes and Alborg both to go through. They did. Uh, also Barca, we knew that was going to happen. The only team that let me down was Kiel. Uh, and in particular, Sander Sagerson, who, who uh, let himself and his team down uh, and got himself uh, and got them knocked out. Yeah, I think I got three out of four as well but i didn't believe in Nantes, or more not that i didn't believe in Nantes. i believed that veshbrem were just better i did believe that psg could beat keel didn't think it would happen such a dramatic and explosive fashion with sanders agason completely blowing up getting inside his head getting a red card blowing the chances for his team to get to another final four but PSG were fantastic. And Elohim Prandi, in our first preview, you asked me, could Prandi do it? I said, I think he's ready. And boy, was he ready. He was an absolute machine in that game. For sure was. It really like, you know, the in that first preview, besides the Prandi question was the whole topic of Luke Stein's team versus Mikkel Hansen's team and, and how the players in that, that backcourt six would be lining up. And it was really remarkable in that second leg, the absence of Mikkel Hansen and just how much it turned out to be Luke Stein's team and it worked perfectly for them in the end. Yeah, um, and that's exactly what you get with Stein's. You get Brandy scoring 9 from 10 and you get Remily scoring from 7 from 10 because they're just receiving the ball really well. And Hansen just was poor. He was given the chance to play. It wasn't that... Um, Gonzalez completely counted him out and said this Luke Stein's team but he was just very poor when he was on his just yeah he, his passing his shooting um, mistakes technical mistakes they're all there and I don't know why but Hansen did have um, his second baby 
just last week. So maybe his head was a little bit in there before that. And we saw what happened when he got his first child. And that was that incredible world championship performance in 2019. So maybe that's on the cards for the final four. You talked about Luke Stein's team. I would like to call it Luka Karabatic's team because he is the heart and soul of the team. And I think PSG really won it with their defense. They made life really difficult for Kiel and Luka Karabatic is integral in that. He absolutely drives it. They really fall apart without him. And to add to that, Luka Karabatic was in hospital 24 hours before the game started. So he had back pains, which turned out to be kidney stones. And he basically lay in hospital for a whole day. He didn't eat anything on the game, uh, on the day of the game, came in and absolutely bossed it. The Karabatic brothers are just made of something else because also we saw recently that uh, Nikola Karabatic is back on the court. Just how many months? About four or five months after his ACL injury, which is uh, absolutely incredible. A bit more than that, isn't it? Because it happened at the beginning of the. It happened at the beginning of the season. Was it October? I think this yeah, is a classic so. case of not realizing how quickly 2021 is going by. It's June next week. <laughs> <laughs> Still, seven, eight months to be taking yeah. contact in training from an ACL injury for a 37-year-old is pretty miraculous stuff. But really impressive for PSG. Should we start questioning Philip Yeha? No. <laughs> I, I was kind of not directly that question. I was going to ask Brian. <laughs> God, anyone who hasn't listened to uh, or well, follows our Twitter account might take Alex very seriously here. Or maybe Alex is being very serious. I don't know. But besides the bit of like the minor implosion that Sanders Agerson had with that kind of crazy attacker foul, first of all, on Luke Steins, and then the double two-minute suspension that got him the red card. Did you see anything else in particular that like contributed to Kiel's downfall rather than a very good PSG performance? When you look at the, someone like uh, Prandi, I think we've been waiting for a very, very long time. I'll get back to Kiel in a second, but I wanted to say this beforehand. I kind of comes it kind of uh, links up with what i'm thinking um we've been kind of waiting for a very very long time to see someone like prandi perform on the champions champions league stage in a really big game like that and i think a lot of people were expecting it the last final four and i think if you remember the last final four a lot of people were disappointed with how he was playing and that might come back to what we're saying here about him not really fitting in with the, the hansen style of of the backcourt too well where maybe he's not getting the ball fast enough each time it was incredible to see how how good he looked and he'll be going into the final four now absolutely brimming with confidence and I think he's that kind of player who needs that kind of confidence um, and between him and Remily you know I think it's they're going to be they're going, they're looking really good and I think it's going to be it's uh, I, I think they're definitely going to get to the final anyway but Kiel to, to answer your question to come ball back around again I can't remember the statistics but in my head I didn't think Landine Landine had seven saves. Yeah, seven saves. Well, okay, yeah. Twenty percent. Seven saves. Yeah. It's actually. <laughs> uh, no, it's that's below par. It's a bit below par, yeah. And I think they they might be a little bit more used to relying on Landine in certain situations like that, where he didn't and didn't really live up to his kind of normal his normal standards. But apart from that, I'm not really sure. I think there was a lot of kind of very mediocre performances. Someone like Mia Zarabets, for example, where you think someone like him they probably really needed someone like him, and he did. The two goals he did get, I remember there were two very good goals, but he's very, very quiet apart from that. And even someone like Hendrik Pekelaar, you know, I think he only got one in the game. And you need someone, you need your, your your main line player like that to be really firing on all cylinders. So I just think, I think they were probably outclassed. Like what, what Alex said, they were outclassed by the way Karabatic had set up the defence. I think maybe tactically look a little bit lost in certain parts of the game. Also, I think Vincek, uh being out, what was partially due to that. I think you're right. It's the combination of, let's say, Vincek being out and Landine having a bad game. And that combination is just too much to handle for Kiel because they're so reliant on their... Because not only is Vincek being out bad for the defense, they also play this kind of double line player 
second wave attack with Vinjek and Peckler together. And they've re- they really base their second wave through that. So having to change all of that and Landine having a bad game, you a relatively bad game, uh, it's a bit tough for them. And the game was close and then uh, the frustration boiled over at the end. I don't want to dwell too much on, on these games because if we do it at this rate, it'll be a podcast in itself and we have a lot more things to go over. So just a quick question on, on the semi-final draw. It's PSG against Aalborg, Nantes against Barca. I think it was you, Alex, who tweeted earlier from our account saying that you know it's all set up for Barca and PSG to meet in the final but it is the HF Final Four after all, which means it's going to be at least one surprise. Which of the two do you think is going to give us that surprise? Or even both? Can, can I just say one thing about the the, the quarterfinals no. before we do move on? <laughs> one, th- one point. It's, Go on. <laughs> but uh, one thing we talked about was the pressure on the team that's ahead or the underdogs in a knockout match. And what actually happened, and this covers the two other big games uh, in the quarterfinal. What actually happened was the pressure fell on the bigger team when they came back. In both games, Flensburg, they, they stormed ahead. They, despite facing pretty bad injuries, they really fought really hard to get ahead or level in the tie. And at one stage, it was 26-21 to Flensburg. And then they stopped. I think it's that moment for the chasing team it's that moment of relief of getting to your target, to getting the target of being level. And there's psychological kind of relief. Okay, we're there. We're going to do it because we have the momentum. And they switched off and Alborg came back. The same thing happened with Veshram and Nantes. At halftime, Veshram went on a really good run and were up by three goals, 18-15. And I think they relaxed. They were like, okay, we got this. If we can get beat them by three goals in one half, then the second half should be a cakewalk. And Nantes came out and went on an absolute roll at the start of that second half and won the game. So it was just interesting to see that dynamic falling on the bigger team or the chasing team as opposed to the team with nothing to lose uh, in what Emil Nielsen said. It's, it might be a bit easier. It's almost like uh, scoring too early in football, you know? Uh, if you're the weaker team and funnily enough and maybe this is why PSG even though it was a closer game they didn't fall for it because a couple of years ago when they got knocked out of the quarterfinal against Kielce that exact thing happened to them remember they lost the first leg by 10 goals absolute nightmare for them I was there in Paris when they managed to bring it all the way back draw level and then it was like oh shit there's still 15 minutes left and then Kielce managed to pull it out of the bag then uh, and just about go through so that's yeah, an interesting dynamic now answer my question. What was your original question? So who, who's we... going through? <laughs> oh, who, who would be the... If there's going to be a surprise, who would it be? For the non-Barca game, <clears throat> I don't... Look, I I think it's very... <clears throat> Emil Nielsen, Nielsen can cause any team a lot of problems, but I always feel like... I think, I, I think it's going to be a close game up until the last 15 minutes, but I think Barcelona the last 15 minutes, the gears that they can find, I'm not sure... Just a, an amazing performance by someone like Emil Nielsen will ha- will be enough for them. Even though we were, we saw how good their the young players and their wingers were in, were in the in the quarterfinals, I just think there's there's too much going on in that Barca team. They're going to be too hungry with all the news of pe- players coming and going, and you know Xavi Pascal's last final four for maybe a very very long time. Who knows? And um, with the news of him going to Diamond of Bucharest, so I think that it should be Barca. Well, in the, in the last 15 minutes, then actually by maybe three or four, it was what I fancy. So I don't think that'd be a surprise. Yeah, I actually, I, I think Nantes are more likely to cause an upset because they have been the giant killers. They they really know how to put it up against a, a statistically better team, a financially better team. And they seem seem to have a belief, and it's it's one of those teams that's like Croatia in the women's European Championship that for some reason I keep writing them off, and they uh, they just do it. Um, and you know this is Barcelona in the semi final of a final four. This is there that's ripe for the pick, picking. You know that's that's exactly when you can beat Barca. I, I I'd say they are. Um, 
they've learned from their lessons. They have to have learned from their lessons, Barcelona. But I think Nantes have that something extra because on the other side, Albor have already exceeded so much expectation. PSG look in really good form. And just an added factor is that Albor over the next couple of weeks will be playing and have already started their kind of championship rounds in the Danish championship. So they, they're in the semifinal against Geoge, so which they, they won the first game 30-28, which is quite a big win for them uh, away from home. And it looks, you know, that, that was a tough game. The second game is going to be a tough one. If they get through that, they'll play either Silkeborg or Holsebro. And they already lost to Holsebro in the initial playoffs. And it's just this kind of real intense couple of weeks for them if they do get to the final of the Danish Championship. And to add a final four of an extra level intensity might be a bit too much for this Alborg team. I think just the experience of going to those final fours sometimes can be a lot for teams, you know, and I'd imagine for Alborg, just actually just being there and being at the final four will be at such a, a massive sense of achievement that, uh, yeah, it could be, as you said, I might get, just be a bit over, overwhelming in the end with, with the schedule and the whole, we're at the final four, we made it, we achieved something already, which also can be a bit of a dangerous mix as well when you have teams there going and they really feel like they've nothing to lose. Mm. It can they can also have that aspect, but I don't know. I just think the 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 players we saw for PSG in the last game who played really well <clears throat> are their, their four top scorers: Nahi on the wing, he's twenty one; Remily twenty five; Prandi twenty two; and uh, what's the other guy's called? The other winger, the right winger, Konku. Oh, Konku. Sorry, yeah. And that's that's a really dangerous mix when you have young players like that going into the final four, and the squad itself has the experience. I don't know. I just think PSG Barca final. I can't say anything else, unfortunately. Also, just can I can I just hype up Dylan Nahi for a second? <laughs> he's <laughs> amazing. He's the most ridiculous player at the moment. He really does whatever he wants. He's ridiculously athletic and just really, really clever with the way that he beats the goalkeeper with like these kind of ridiculous lobs or spins and that you know, clever move against Sagason, which got him a, a, a two minutes by wrapping his arm around. But it's just this combination of raw physical power and just really intelligent decision making, um, which is impressive. And he's going to Kielce next season. Well, like we'll, we'll talk a lot more about the, the final four over the next couple of weeks. Got another more urgent final four to talk about. But first, let's talk about the. EHF finals, which was the European League for men, uh, that concluded over the weekend. Brian was covering all of it. I, on the other hand, was watching a real European competition on Saturday, Eurovision, and uh, not this three German teams competition. I did watch the final, however, and after years of tipping Magdeburg to do something, they finally did something. Yeah, it was it was a, a very for me, a very strange uh, weekend overall. I mean, it's, I think I was expecting maybe a lot more interest in it. I haven't worked on the European League match days all season long with, with you, Chris, almost like every single one, apart from one I think I missed. Um, and I've just seen the, the reaction online to the different clubs and it just felt like it was a little bit more to it than the EHF Cup and it's funny, like I, I've been to EHF Cup Finals as well and there'd be no attention at all all season long. And then all of a sudden the EHF Cup Finals had this massive emphasis on it and you actually get quite a good reaction on social media. But we kind of felt had the opposite uh, this time around. It was like there was very little of a, a buzz going around about it. That was maybe something to do with the fact, obviously, that you had three German clubs and one uh, Polish club. And I think it's maybe, that's fine a few times, but it's happened now <clears throat> so many times over the years that maybe people are getting a little bit, it feels a bit stale when you keep seeing Fuchsia Berlin and the likes turn in, in the Final Four event. So in terms of the build-up and the anticipation, it was a bit disappointing. The handball itself, I think, apart from maybe Magdeburg's performance in attack in the final, the overall handball itself was... Uh, a bit messy, do you know. I know they like to promote the European League as 
not being the Champions League, not being as polished, being a bit more gritty, a bit more fighter. And you really did see that. It was really like a scrap and very messy and not the most beautiful handball you're ever going to see. Apart from, I think, Magdeburg's attack in the final, I thought looked really, really, really good. They made some massive mistakes in defence, which Yannick Green uh, saved them uh, 17 times. Uh, so, uh, yeah, overall, a bit of a mixed bag, you know, but some def- definitely some interesting uh, storylines. And, for example, we know that Kemek Del Doria came back and didn't really do much in the first game, but then for the for the bronze medal match, he scored five, looked really good. Incredible they hadn't played any top-level handball for a year, and you can come on and just score five goals like that. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive as it is. But I think Ryan Neckerlewin will be disappointed. When I was talking to Palik after the game when they lost their semi-final, and he was talking about how the team has spiraled into darkness. And I was like, oh my God, I think it's maybe a little bit worse than uh, <laughs> we anticipated. So there's obviously maybe a lot of trouble going on there. They would lost four in a row going into that. Uh, or that was their fourth and no, that was the, the semi-final loss was their fourth game that they'd lost in a row and I think there was probably other parts of the season where they were feeling unbeatable and uh seemed like their confidence was was uh, pretty low so they obviously be very disappointed with that but finished on a high with Martin Schwab's last game as head coach um but yeah I think the best part of the weekend for me was Magdeburg's attack it just looked so good in that uh in that in for parts of that uh, final that was my personal highlight and is it is it confirmed that the European League winner gets a spot in the Champions League, or is that still no, no, no? So it's the um, nation with the best European League record from the past three seasons. So also including EHF Cups now mm. gets the second allocated spot for that nation, if it is that nation, and that is Germany, obviously. As, as last weekend proved with three teams at the final event. Uh, there was an interview with DHF president Michael Wiederer in like the Mannheim Morgan Post or something like that, some, uh, some regional newspaper where he said that they will consider after a couple of years whether the European League winner gets a direct spot. But at the moment, it's the the country with the best record in that competition. So it's pretty safe in Germany's pocket for a couple of years. Yeah, I, I think that change has to be made to um, make the competition more enticing for clubs to really chase it for the kind of the low, the, you know, the third, fourth best team in leagues to actually invest in a team that could win that competition to get their spot. Because right now it's just going to be Germany. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was the fourth place team in Germany playing against the sixth best team in Germany in the final. And I know that doesn't scream blockbuster to me. Yeah, because in football you do have, so the Europa League, the team that wins it gets an automatic spot. Um, and I'm not sure how that, does that influence the, that doesn't influence the allocations from they get yeah. an extra spot. So they get an extra, extra spot. spot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is, I mean, basically what the situation is at the moment. But uh, you can see the probably the they're trying to avoid at the moment is, you know, if you look at the Bundesliga now, Magdeburg have won it. They're in fourth place. They won't be finishing in the top two. Kiel or Flensburg win the league. Whoever wins the league gets into the Champions League. Whoever finishes second misses out. And Magdeburg, then the fourth place team, gets that. Uh, gets that spot basically what's happening now is Magdeburg do the work and then second place in the Bundesliga gets the uh, reward for it yeah I, I I don't know about that model that you know you you take away you should just take away a wild card you know one of the broader wild cards for the European League because it is an opportunity for every club so th- there's already so many wild cards why not kind of cut that down um and it would make a team so you know next year so Montpellier were a good example this year where they were in it and they got knocked out and uh, let's say next year in France one of Montpellier and Nantes might not get into the Champions League it definitely won't definitely won't mm. um and there should be an incentive for Montpellier and Nantes to really you know take the European League 100% seriously invest in that year to win it and get that extra spot 
instead of uh, maybe thinking, okay, we'll play in the competition, it'll be good, but if we have an important game in the league, we will prioritize that to get our second spot to qualify for the Champions League. That's a very good point. I think probably financially. Financially, it needs to be more of an attraction to the clubs to win the European League. Do you know? I think 100,000 prize money isn't really enough for most clubs for the amount of effort it takes to... Do you know, if you come fourth in the in the European League, you get 40,000. I mean, like, that's not really... I think for most clubs, not really worth their time to put in this huge amount of effort into the league. And then you might might get to the Final Four and then, worst case scenario, win 40,000. Do you know what I mean? 40,000 for most clubs isn't really life-changing you know but if you're up talking to maybe up on maybe half a million now or something like that that maybe will be money that would start getting clubs a little bit more taking it a lot more seriously because yeah it just felt a little bit more like ehf cup 2.0 now rather than being a whole new this is the european league this is a whole different competition with higher standards that's what an automatic place in the champions league would do would, would be a bit of a financial inve- uh, incentive then seeing as the following season you'd be playing yeah. at that level but yeah it's a i mean it's a pity that this is the tone of the conversation at the end of it because we have been quite excited by the european league as a whole and there's been a lot of teams emerging uh, as contenders for it but in the end it is kind of a downer to have three german teams in there at the end and i think that at the end of the day is what kill the buzz a little bit if it was Montpellier in there instead of Berlin and it was two German teams and uh, a couple of non-German teams that might have already tipped the balance a little bit but um, as a whole I think the whole uh, the competition and the group phase was pretty good Uh, so hopefully um, I don't know what do you do though I mean it's just at the end of the day Germany has the deepest league I mean has the has the best teams placed like three and downwards so it's uh you know, we were lucky not to have four teams in the end because Melsungen got knocked out super early. <laughs> but but isn't that also an unfair waiting for the European League where there, Germany does get four teams uh, from the start? Sh- shouldn't that be reduced in the style of the Champions League to make that more interesting? Yeah, potentially that's a, that's a way to go with it, to have a maximum of two teams from any country in that competition as well yeah. and also um, competing with the eurovision is extremely difficult yeah. so. <laughs> it was it was a very good eurovision this year i i think actually that this year's eurovision might have actually re reinvigorated the whole thing because it was so tense and so close well, good. Alex, did you not say this was the worst Eurovision on your Twitter? No, no, not at all. I <laughs> did you not? Did I did I, did I dream that? I, I, I thought you Can we just? I'm going to check this now. I, I was sure you said just. Let me just say for the record that this Eurovision has been the worst Eurovision. Did I dream that? You completely dreamed that. I I, I was a big fan God, of this. Where did I Eurovision. see that? Definitely one of the best in a long time. Ah uh, no, I just said did that you, did, Spain were the worst. All that in the Spain Eurovision. was ah, right. that, that was the worst performance ah. of the Eurovision. Yeah, okay, which gotcha, which gotcha. I will stick by. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think uh, the UK, Germany, and Norway deserve to be in Eurovision hell after that. Uh, <laughs> well, they went through Eurovision hell, so I think that's probably a fair enough punishment. Uh, anyway. <laughs> right, now moving on to the Dale OEHF Final Four coming up this weekend in Budapest. And as we mentioned before, we've got a showstopper of an interview this week. She needs no introduction. It's Nora Merck. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly fine. How are you? Good, I'm good, thank you. Good, how was training today? Uh, it was okay, it was just physical and we will have a tactic meeting in Hamble later today. It must be a, a bit of relief to have had a couple of games uh, in the last week. You've been waiting a while, huh? Yeah, it's been almost like this since New Year's that we've been playing one match, waiting one month and then one match again. So, so it's nice to have finally have two games in uh, in one week for sure. I want to start by taking you back to last month in the quarterfinal against Rostov. Uh, you had a brilliant couple of days uh, over the two games and you mentioned in the, the post-match interview for TV that about how little handball training you had had beforehand. Can you Can you give me a bit of an insight into your personal journey leading up to those games? It was quite difficult because I had a small injury uh, the previous game against Rostov. I think it was in February. And then, of course, every, 
including me, was uh, afraid that or expecting the worst. But finally, I had some luck and uh, I needed rest. But my knee, um, I think I was out for eight eight weeks and then I felt it. It was stable again, but still I hadn't been practicing handball or with contact for more than one week or so. So <laughs> it felt like I was... Uh, my body felt like I just went through uh, preseason all over again. And then to be playing a quarterfinal uh, against Rostov, also two matches in Russia with a full house. It's, it's exciting. Right now, it's almost like traveling back in time with spectators. And uh, But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I... Um, I played better than I did in the trainings. Let's just say, <laughs> let's <Okay>. just say that. <laughs> so, I mean, was there any kind of doubt in your mind then leading up to it? Or did you did you just switch something off? I mean, it seems to show so much mental fortitude, uh, what, you, what you managed to do given the circumstances. Yeah, no, I think actually it's, I think it's, it was, of course, a lot of uh, preparation mentally. And I have played uh, many uh, games like that before. And I know that... I can perform well when there is most pressure. So it was exciting. But also for us, I think we found out the same day that, for example, that Vakirawashi wouldn't play, uh, which was a huge advantage for us because she's one of the greatest players and she makes a lot for Rostov. But then we could manage to be like, okay, we will now we will really attack them. And uh, I think we played with, uh, I think we, we looked like we were, had a lot of experience out there and we was calm, we were calm and also very efficient in that first game. And the first game was crucial for us and also to get the seven goal uh, difference. Then uh, I knew the second game we wouldn't, we are not able to, to waste that opportunity. And uh, it was, um, yeah, a great uh, victory for the, for the team and the club, uh, of course. Oh, we saw you also getting stuck in in defense quite a bit, uh, and you seem to enjoy it as well. We don't get to see you do that so often. <laughs> like a, is it like a low key part of the game that you enjoy? Yeah, actually, before I tore my ACL, I played quite a lot of defense for Gyur. Um, mm. And uh, if I have like, let's say, more free rules that I can go up because. You know, I will never block any player <laughs> and uh, I'm well aware of that and also my teammates. So if I am free, I'm a, at least I'm quick on the feet and uh, I can play defense. But I think uh, me and um, Lurke were changing a little bit. She hadn't been playing for four months and I haven't been playing for two months. And we were just like, uh, yeah, switching uh, whenever uh, we could or whenever she felt like she needed two minutes. So... I was just happy I could be able to help. But uh, now in the trainings, I've been practicing uh, quite a lot, actually, in case that happens. Okay, so watch out next weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Considering everything, so like this this crazy season Vipers have had where you've been away for practically the whole season, except for a couple of games, uh, the quarterfinal where you and Heidi Lucke had barely had any training, and then beating Rostov away from home at those quarterfinals. Uh, have you allowed yourself personally and as a team to be proud of what you've already achieved this year uh, yes i think we went on this uh, european tour in february and i think when we lost two times against ftc nobody including us we didn't expect you know that we will be in the final four but i think when we uh, have the whole team and we have a full squad of course now we are missing one of the best defense player in voda uh, which is out for a long time uh, but other than that, we have a very strong team when when also, of course, uh, Lurke is back. It's uh, a huge advantage for uh, for us. And yeah, I know that, that we can count on her in the in the big games and uh, now it's only big games left. So um, yeah. I think that we we will go to final four. You know, we, we had a goal to reach the final four uh, this season and that we kind of like, we achieved it already. Uh, I think we should just go to Final Four and enjoy and see what happens. And uh, I know myself when I get there, the the beast is going to come out. I'm going to do anything I can to win. So we will see. But the other teams are very strong too. Absolutely. I mean, I'm aware that you moved back to Norway last year uh, and moving to Vipers then were for reasons that had nothing to do with the sport. But all things considered then, how has this past year in Norway been for you? 
uh, it's been both really good uh, to see my family so much uh, and also to be closer to them. Uh, that was the main thing for me and also the most important thing. Uh, on the other hand, it's been also kind of frustrating to not be playing uh, almost anything in the Norwegian League and uh, some Champions League games we only played away. So for me as a player who wants to be in shape, it's not the best option. And also I really want to go to the Olympics and be uh, yeah, in top form. And uh, it's kind of hard when you don't play the games because then you always get better. But in one way we are... We haven't had one incident here in uh, in Vipers uh, with COVID and um, we are all healthy and uh, safe. Uh, so that's something, I guess. But it's kind of frustrating because I always want to be the best. I want to be in the best shape. And now we just have to make the best out of it. And at least hopefully we will be uh, ready and healthy for the, for the Olympics too. Are you able to put a kind of a percentage on readiness at the moment, uh, like peak Nora Merck? Or do you not dare to say that? I still feel I have uh, some way to go, but it's been quite a tough two years actually not to be able to, you know, be at the top level. And my injuries had been have been crucial and also limiting like the opportunity to get better. But I feel like okay in the quarterfinals, I you could see some glimpse of the of the old me and uh, what I can do, and I'm a type of player that I always want to be better doesn't matter that I get older I just for me I need always to get better but I feel I feel like I'm getting there I felt like there were some moments also in the European Championship where I was I was doing the best that I could at the time but I know I have more so for the Olympics I really hope that yeah I will be at uh, my best shape again especially from uh, from nine meters that's been uh, something I've been working on because it's been hard uh, being out for so long and having that confidence and also that efficiency that that's what I need. You've mentioned the Olympics a couple of times there and like it was such a dominant performance back last December at the European Championship and then a really shaky weekend in Montenegro. Uh, yeah. Team sneak through and is is the Olympics what 2021 is really all about for you? Yes, I'm I'm not going to lie. I think that it's uh, perfect that we qualified for the final four because then we get you know, a weekend where there is top handball, like top quality and uh, pressure and everything. We get to experience that. And then for the Olympics, of course, this is what's, what's been on my mind for the last five years. I have to say, like, uh, Rio still haunts me. And uh, to be able to get back in the Olympics, you know, give uh, another try and uh, really challenge the other teams that's been in my mind for the last five years. So uh, I'm excited. and. I think everybody who knows me knows that this is going to be a very important summer for sure. That's an added bonus then that practically the whole Norwegian team is going to be in Budapest next weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's uh, amazing. Also, we have been having meetings also with the national team and we are all very satisfied that there are so many Norwegian players who is playing that weekend because I think either way, um, there is possibility for Norwegian uh, winners, uh, oh. of course. Also good practice. You signed another year contract with Vipers uh, recently and, and the team itself is going to have a bit of a, a different look and feel to it with players like Bella Gildan and Nerea Pena joining and then some Norwegians like Henny and Malin and Emilia leaving. What do you think that means for the club and is it kind of moving into a different stage in its development now? I think the club has been doing uh, doing really well the last couple of years and also I think yeah, it's been maybe one of the most stable clubs for the last couple of years and now it shows and we have been able to get players like Nerea and Bella also it shows a lot of character and uh, that the club still wants to to be you know in the top in Europe and uh, for me it was very important to get you know such top players here when we are losing especially uh, Henne which is in the uh, I don't know, the best shape of her life and still uh, really young. So, of course, it's uh, it's a big loss for the club that she leaves and also the other players. But I think maybe with Gulden and also with Pena, it can uh, be a good fit for, especially for me, who likes to be close to the goal, likes to play with the pivot and also they do the same. So it can be, um, 
I think it can be, it will be different, but uh, also I think it can be really good for, especially a player like me. Yeah, it feels like a really good fit, uh, the way the, the two of them play and with you. So that's that's quite exciting. Yeah, I think we're all excited, actually. Yeah. It's also good sometimes to to change a little bit, uh, not too much, but uh yeah it's uh it will be interesting to see after after the summer what what we can do when, when you left for Jura five years ago uh leaving larvik and and how that sadly turned out then did you think you'd ha- have a norwegian team to come back to playing at this level so soon uh, f- for me i uh when i left uh larvik the plan was uh, to stay abroad for a long time now I'm back in Norway uh, due to different reasons, but I can see myself also playing abroad again. Uh, but no, maybe I didn't expect Vipers to be that good so fast. So I was always thinking, okay, if there is a good Norwegian team and I'm in the end of my career, of course, it would be nice to to finish uh, in Norway. But for me, it's just a big plus because there was no um, no chance for me to to continue in Bucharest due to the situation uh, at home. So I'm just, I'm very like fortunate and satisfied that that Vipers has been doing a good job for the last year. So uh, no, I didn't expect it, but uh, I'm very, very happy about it. Now you've already got four Champions League titles and four stones in that magical ring of yours. Uh, yeah. I've been to Budapest over and over again over the last few years. So I think you're, you're a good authority on saying what it takes to, to be successful over this weekend. Do you think Vipers has what it takes to to pull this off next week? And what makes Vipers so special in your eyes? I mean, we we mainly focus on the first the semi final against uh, uh, Moscow, but I do think that we have a good mix of young players and also experienced players. Like Lunda has been there many times before. Lurke has been there many times before. I also been there. Sulon, uh, Knedlikova. And we all have also been able to win. So I think that I see us as not underdogs for the final four. I think that, okay, Eto is the is maybe the favorite, uh, favorite team, which is uh, natural. But I think also that uh, we can be uh, quite a pain in the ass to meet <laughs> yeah. because we will we will run a lot and we will prepare ourselves we have been preparing ourselves since the quarterfinals and um, we have a strong team we have many players that uh, that has been able to help the team so uh, I see us as not like totally underdogs but a little bit but then again we have experience so it's possible to to uh, stir things up in, uh, in Budapest for sure Looks like we're going to have a fair crowd next week as well. I think up to 50% was announced. Uh, you've experienced both sides of the, the coin, being a, a home and away player in what is practically Jur's home arena for that weekend. Does that kind of thing affect you in, in a necessarily positive way or, or do you barely notice it? I think for uh, just speaking for myself, I, I love to play uh, with a full house. Uh, and a huge crowd that's what <laughs> makes me going actually and I, I really enjoy it so I'm I'm very happy that will be spectators there in such a big uh, arena of course there's a huge advantage again for uh, for gear uh, and I also know the feeling to play you know for the home team there you have uh, I don't know six or eight thousand Hungarian fans cheering for you of course you feel the extra energy but uh, I've been on the other side of so many times. I've been, I don't know how many Champions League semifinals or finals I have played, but uh, it's been a few. And uh, I think for me, I don't notice like uh, if they are against us that much. I just, I enjoy it just more than it's totally quiet. It's been difficult in some games. That's, you can hear everything. That's not yeah. necessarily a good thing for <laughs> some players. <laughs> Okay, well, that's brilliant. Nora, thanks a lot. Good luck with the rest of the, the training week. And I'll see you in Budapest next week. Yeah, thank you. We'll see yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, Nora, for that uh, interview. And thanks, Chris, for asking all the questions. Me and Alex really just relaxed during that interview. Let you do, <laughs> let you take a, 
front and center there. So thanks very much for for taking the steering wheel there, Chris. It was almost as if you weren't there. <laughs> we were just almost, a hype yeah. team. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I would have uh, fangirled too much if I was in the interview. So it was <laughs> a good decision overall. Some very interesting details about before they got their quarterfinal game, how she hadn't played handball, and like yeah, some really really great insight in there. Into yeah, she's really struggled obviously with with injuries, but uh, you could you could tell her mental fortitude in certain parts of that, the way she talks about herself and how she's going to go into beast mode when she gets to the final four. Which uh, that's to get you a bit excited. It does. I just uh, her saying that getting into beast mode uh, is, you know, it says says a lot about her. And I'm really looking forward. Actually, both. I think both semifinals are perfect. I think we might have spoken about this before. I reckon CSK and Vipers are delighted to have drawn each other, and uh, both Breast and Jura hated the fact that they were drawn against each other. You know, and I think that really sets it up nicely. Uh, also, the fact that you know if anyone's going to beat Jur, it was probably going to have to happen in the semi-final, and it really could happen in this uh, semi-final. But should we talk about CSKA against Vipers first? Uh, after listening to Nora there, does that alter your opinion on what might happen? Look at that Vipers team. You know, they have some had some mixed results over the season, but experience tells us. The season doesn't really matter when you get to the final four. And you look at the team they have, they have so many amazing players in there. Players who've, who've won medals for, for Norway and looked unbeatable for the national team. So, and then CSK turned up for the first tournament with arguably, uh, probably the best center back in the world at the moment. It's a, it's a, it's a tasty mix, but I think I'd actually probably be leaning towards Vipers taking it. I think, um, I'm leaning towards CSK because actually on what um, Nora spoke about as well, about them not having the big game practice, not enough big game practice. And she was, <laughs> it was quite interesting, uh, her view on it uh, as a player who's done it all and won it all, that she's kind of treating it as a, oh, this is a really good opportunity to train up for the Olympics, which is really unique. I don't think Vipers will be looking at it in that way, but yeah, Vipers just haven't had that big game practice as much as CSK, and CSK just won the Russian Championship against Rostov Don in very similar fashion to how Vipers beat Rostov Don. They won the first game very comfortably, 30-23, and then despite losing by three goals in the second leg, they won the championship, which is a huge step for CSK. And having that as a confidence booster going into the final four it should put them slightly ahead it's going to be a close game either way i i have a feeling the backcourt is going to be really important in this game in particular and i mean no matter how much i look at this csga team and how impressive they were in that quarterfinal i i can't get my head i can't drag myself away from the fact that uh, elena mikhailichenko will not be there, that she's injured. And you spoke about it as well, I think, in the build-up to the quarterfinals, Alex, about how, you know, without her, they aren't quite the same team. And even in that quarterfinal against CSM Bucharesti, it was not pretty by any means. Like, they, they in both legs, had a, a stretch of, you know, 10, 15 minutes where they managed to turn the game on its head. Daria Dimitrieva was doing some amazing things at both ends of the court. But I have a feeling that... Uh, Vipers have the potential to to play at a certain pace for the entire 60 minutes and just not give uh, the CSKA team a chance to drag themselves back into it. I reckon if Vipers grab an early lead, which they're very capable of doing, as we saw from the Rostov games, that they're, they are a bit too experienced and, and smart uh, throughout the team. You know, whether it's from the goalkeeper, Katrina Lunda, to Heidi Lucke in the middle, uh, the backcourt with Nora Merck and, and Henny Reistad. I think they just have enough smarts about them to to not let the game go. Uh, also, Ole Ekstad as the coach, I think, uh, is a big part to play there. It'll be interesting to see that battle uh, of wits between him and Olga Akopian, the new CSK coach. So I reckon all those things combined for me gives Vipers uh, an edge there. And then which then in that case, which of the teams is more likely 
to cause an upset in the final. And I, I say an upset in the final because I think both Brest and Gure are the favourites. Uh, so either team that goes by. But which team out of these game Vipers would be the one that could take it all the way? Oh, well, I, I'm going to go for the team that I think will win the semi-final. <laughs> so, okay. so in that case, it would be Vipers, I think. It's, uh, um, well, do, you, do you think that, although you, you have like CSK as your 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 favorites for that semi-final that Vipers might be the better suited team for a final yeah that, that's exactly yeah. where I was going that I think CSK could win the semi-final but I, I don't think they stand a chance in the final against the either team okay. but I think Vipers can win but I'm not sure if they'll beat CSK so that's that's bit confusing but mm. uh, no it's it's all about clashes of styles at the end yeah. isn't it um and that's uh, i think a good example of it so the the other um match then the kind of the blockbuster matchup between gyor and brest they face each other they've had some intense battles brian do you think that gyor's recent um coach change will have a positive or negative impact going into this tournament i think if you if it was a different coach coming in uh, let's say a brand new coach i would have definitely said a negative uh, a negative impact unless it was per johannesson who always seems to jump into teams last minute and leave again directly afterwards and he seems to have a good a good impact when he does that but the fact it's ambrose martin who's been there knows uh, almost all the players in the squad um they had a coach who took over from ambrose martin probably taking the same dna of style uh from Martin's past moves or concepts or like that. I'm sure it's from the same playbook. Um, so I think it's going to be a fairly smooth transition in that regard. But going back to what Chris said in the, in the introduction, that you couldn't have asked for a better draw. And I was thinking the exact same thing when I saw it as well. I was thinking I'd fancy Brest the most to beat Gür. And that's the best chance to have is probably in the semi-final to beat them. So I was delighted when I saw that. And then you're going to be on the other side either CSK or Vipers are going to be delighted to get to the final no matter, no matter what but I you know this Brest team and I don't know if it's just because of Isabel Golden is playing in the team there's something a bit CSM Bucharesti about them from 2016 maybe it's just I, I can't really put my finger on what it is exactly but there's something a certain freedom and relax, a relaxed nature to how they play they've pushed your already this season and when you have Anna Gross in the team who's just an absolute gold machine like that you know Someone like Isabella Golden, who's been to the final four a few times now, knows what she's doing. Uh, and then you have like arguably the best female keeper in the world, in Sandra Toft and Gold. There's some really, really great names in there, and I think they might actually do it. I think they might actually beat Gure. And Chris, do you think should we read into Gure losing in such dramatic fashion to FTC uh, recently uh, in the Hungarian league? Obviously, the your bosses read into it and sacked the coach a lot. But do you think that's an indication of a team that's struggling or a once-off? I, you know what, I, I think so. It, it takes it takes away that sheen of invincibility that they have, which was already a tiny bit fragile from the draws they had this season. Which, in its own way, kind of gave them that kind of mental edge because although they were like in the depths of hell a few times, they managed to drag themselves back and get a draw. Um, this time, they were in a situation where even if they lost the game to FTC, which was basically a game to decide the Hungarian league, they lost by nine in the end, where I think like a five or six goal loss would have saved the league for them. They couldn't manage that. Um, and yeah, it makes them all of a sudden a, a vulnerable team. And it's interesting because I spoke to Estelle Enzimenko and Georgina Jaukovic last week and asked them a, a similar question about their two draws during the season. Because I felt in a way that uh, the fact that they were draws and not victories for Brest gave Jura the advantage. But both Estelle and Georgina, Georgina saw it as an advantage for Brest. Because Estelle said, yeah, okay, now they know that they can get a result against us. She talked about playing Jura in the past and how they always have this, like, you know, sometimes you're beaten before you even start the game, just when you're warming up and you look over and you're like, oh my God, look at all these players. Um, and Jokovic was like, yeah, it was amazing. We Like, amazing results for us give us so much confidence. So I, I think there is a bit of a mental edge for this breast team at the moment. Um, but then you look at the 
like the the players that that Jura have. I both squads are very good, and both squads have some amazing players in really right down the middle of the court. So the back court the line player position and the goalkeeper position but both squads are also kind of lacking in some ways because you know Brest don't really have so much depth in the backcourt beyond Jaukovic, Belo Gilden and Anna Gross. Now Nia Kate is back another very good left back but they are a bit lacking there and Jura don't have a right back which works for them most of the time but as we've seen it you know it can also really if you're not Denmark at the 2019 World Championship it can also really get you in a spot of bother so you know you have you've pressed with the very best scoring uh, right back in the competition best scorer overall in the competition with Anna Gross and then the other team has none so neither team is perfect that's for sure but they are the two favorites for this competition and I mean it's really hard to know who's gonna win it yeah and I do have to mention that Gyor, after the loss to FDC, 10 days days later, played them again in the Hungarian Cup and beat them by four goals. So, you know, that shows their mental strength, I suppose, and that they are just, you know, that they're always the team to beat. Yeah, it's going to be a half full arena, hopefully in Budapest this weekend as well. And it's going to be a Jura crowd. Maybe that won't make so much of a difference to them. It didn't help Veshpren, so... It didn't help. I, uh, yeah. I was, I was I, about to ask you the same thing there. I was thinking, like, you play all season long with no fans, and then all of a sudden you have all these home fans. That is that extra pressure sometimes a little bit of a, a poison chalice when you haven't had it so long. It's like this extra pressure just put on top of you then for the final final few game, final game, possibly. I don't know. This might be a little bit too much. If, if the fans turn on you... Uh, which towards the end of the first half against Nantes, you know, it fell really silent in Vesper Marina. <laughs> so that can be even worse then. Like, I agree with you, Brian. If uh, if it's going to happen, if Jura are going to lose, it's probably going to happen in the semi-final. But is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? <laughs> if, I mean, there's no reason why not. You know, if it's, I think it's at the end of the day, goalkeeper battle is huge. It's, not just Sandra Toft is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. There's five goalkeepers there who are among the best in the world. Like you have the France number one, two, and three in there. You have Denmark's number one, and you have Norway's number one slash two in Silja Solberg. Like, so I think no matter what, you're going to get two good goalkeeper performances somewhere among those five goalkeepers. <laughs> and then uh, it's whether Bella Gilden can unlock Anna Gross because Jura have a very good defense and if you think about like having Bratzett and Edvige in the center there and maybe having Eduarda Amarim like focusing her fully on Anna Gross and that might shut them down a little bit um, which could be a real danger for Brest I reckon that could be the difference in the end so Jura to win or maybe the the line position I think is maybe something that sticks out to me is maybe you're having the the edge and you could you could see someone like uh, Carrie Bratz at Dalek just having an absolute stormer uh, at the final four. Brest have Fopa and um, Popolazic who are very good line players, but we know that what uh, Bratzet or Carrie Bratzet can do, and we've seen her at final fours before performing at that level. I think maybe that line backcourt connection could be an aspect of the court as well that. Could be could make the difference in the end. For me, I just I want Brest to win, and not because of it's an, an any anti cure thing. It actually stems from our interview with Sandra Toft, where she said she really wants to win the Champions League, and she wants to do it without going to cure, and that's that's <laughs> a target I can support. Um, so, so I'm yeah. going to be cheering for Sandra Toft and um, Brest. So if so if you could pick the dream final now, and obviously I know Alex would be Brest versus CSK would it be I, I actually I, I want to see Vipers in the final so I I want Vipers in the final but I think CSK will beat them in that semi-final um I don't know something is telling me that uh so my dream final would probably be Vipers versus Brest but it, it will probably be Gear versus CSK Moscow. So I won't be watching that. You'll <laughs> be watching the bronze medal game exactly. early on. <laughs> How about you, Brian? Dream final. I think probably dream final for me would probably be... Uh, do you know what? Like, I mean, 
dream final, it would be great. It wouldn't be really great to see Vipers beating Gure in the final. I know it seems really impossible, but there would just be something there that the whole Nora Mark angle beating Gure in the final four in Budapest, where she had so much success in the past. I think that would be, yeah. I mean, they don't really want to see Gure in the final because we've seen it so many times before. And I think we're always very heavily influenced by that because it's just so boring to obviously see Gure in the final. But it would be great to see them beaten in the final by by Vipers, you know, so that would be a, a tasty, a tasty mix. So you think it will be Vipers against Brest in the final, but you want it to be Vipers against Gear? Only if Vipers beat Gear, then I don't want to see Gear okay. in the final. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 re- I reckon, yeah, dream, dream realistic scenario would be Vipers against Brest. I think it will be Vipers against Gear in the final. Where Jura will win the final, <laughs> unlike in Brian's one. That's the realistic me thinking. I reckon it's going to be Jura for gold. Vipers. Oh, I came into this thinking Breast were going to win. Now I don't. I, I find it so hard to to just discount Jura though. So yeah, Jura gold, Vipers silver, Breast Britannia bronze. And you know what's going to be? Ha- it's going to happen now. And next week we're going to be recording another podcast going, I mean, you should never count the underdogs out from a Final Four. And I can't believe CSK have picked up their first title. It's absolutely incredible. Anything can happen at the Final Four. We say it every time and we always forget about the underdogs. And we could very well be recording that podcast next week. It's, it's the year of the underdogs. Why not continue it? Yeah. So who, what are your medals then, Alex? I, I don't know. I've tangled myself completely <laughs> with my predictions I, I think i've given a variation of everything but i in in my medals i, I do think that cure will just do it so over csk in the final yeah, over csk in the final yeah and bronze for who oh <laughs> see that's in the your- match i really want to see so <laughs> <laughs> that's all i can predict um <laughs> And I think Vipers take that. Yeah, maybe right. Vipers take the bronze. All right, Brian. Bronze, silver, gold. Ah, uh, so influenced by what I want versus what I think is going to happen. No, I really think Brest are going to beat Gear. Right, so Brest mm. get final versus Vipers. And I think Brest are going to win the Champions League. Brest first. That's wild, I know. There's, I don't think I really think this, but anyway. Brest, can for gold. Vipers, uh, silver. And then Gear pick up bronze. That's that's a prediction I came into this podcast recording thinking and have now changed. So I'm glad you said it. And, and Ambrose Martin gets fired before next season even starts. <laughs> that's the risk. That's the risk of coming back early. Uh, well, if anyone if anyone understood that last ten minutes, congratulations on detangling everything uh, or or like intertwining of dreams and reality there <laughs> but uh, yeah it's happening this weekend saturday and sunday covid test depending i'll be commentating brian will be there alex on the tweet machine for us and uh yeah hope you all enjoy it and we'll be back next time looking back at this weekend and looking forward to the men's ehf final four until then everyone thank you and goodbye That was one of the most fascinating decisions I think a handball player, a professional handball player, has ever taken. At that level, just to go, I'm done. I guess now it's time for me to give up. You know, Ekdal Duvier uh, retiring so early is uh, is a huge blow to Ryan Nicolouven. He, uh, I mean, they've brought in three left backs in his place. Uh, they're going to miss him. I, I, Andy Schmidt is going to miss him for sure. I think one year out could uh, could make him realise that he's missing something again. I was happy with feeling of uh, sort of regaining uh, control over over my life, just to find the strength to listen to me for a while. It's such a peace of mind. There must be something that, you, that you're missing, or there must be some sort of longing there to keep connected with the handball world. Fun because I think I feel more like a handball player now than I did when I was playing. Have you got your hands in a ball uh, since the summer? Yeah, when I when I was in New York, that was great. We had a good time, and then we went out for for a drink afterwards. Uh, and I think that was the evening when I when I realized that hey, I actually missed this sort of somewhere.
Did you still have it in your arm? Is the mm. is the power still there? The power is there, but uh, I have the impression that my shoulder is gonna explode. So, Kimmy, I think if you were an ex-girlfriend of mine, you're coming back to me. I wouldn't know. You're sending me very mixed signals about the about the handball world. I would ask you the million-dollar question: <laughs> Will we ever see you play handball again? You know, I'm a bad liar, so I'm gonna try to give you an honest answer. But uh, and that answer would be, I, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, so you're keeping like an open relationship with the handball world. <laughs> Yeah, I like your metaphors, yeah. I couldn't have put it in better myself. I guess now it's time that you came back for good.